swivel. Hey guys, I'm Jaden and I'm a mom, a business owner, a professional hourly fixer, and now a podcast host. It's tricky juggling it all, but as the saying goes, it takes a village to raise a child. So I'm bringing in my mum friends to co-host alongside me throughout the series. Each week, we try and entertain and support mums who are going through the shitty hard times to hopefully make you laugh and support you in your journey. On the podcast, we talk to lots of experts to do a deep dive into the issues that affect us as mums and hope by sharing this alongside our own stories, we can help mums feel like they are validated and appreciated. Join us for a whirlwind of an episode this week on Mummy Village. Hey guys, and welcome back to our first episode of 2023. I hope you had a great break or at least managed to survive it. I know I did. So for our first episode of the new year, I'm really excited to introduce a new member of the Mummy Village, my good friend, Adriana. Say hi to everyone, Age. Hi, everyone. I'm Adriana. Firstly, I would like to say I am super excited to join you as co-host for Mummy Village. Woohoo! So, a little about me. I am a part-time primary school teacher and a full-time mum to a beautiful and extremely active 20-month-old who is my absolute pride and joy, but he definitely keeps me on my toes. I've been working in the early childhood sector for over 12 years and I've always said, especially now being a mother, that I couldn't imagine my life without kids around. Yeah. So now not only are you with kids through your work hours, you now have them around the clock being a full-time mum with Nicholas. Like, I just don't know how you do it. But anyway. Well, let's just say that I've mastered patience in a whole new way that I never imagined before. <laughs> I, yeah, wow. So before we jump into the topics and the episodes and all the fun and magic, we normally do like a highs and lows for the week, like a parenting okay. high and a parenting low. It doesn't really have to be about parenting. It could just be about life. So I'm going to jump right in and ask you, what is one of your lows for the week? All right, let's think. Well, my little one, he started daycare this week and has come to the realization that when I say goodbye, I am actually leaving. So yesterday I walked out of the center and heard him scream my name or mama. And at that point, my mum guilt definitely kicked in and I burst into tears, having to be consoled by a parent that I didn't know <laughs> who was walking in the centre just trying to drop off their child. They had to console me because I was an emotional wreck. So that was my low. Okay. Yeah. And my high would have to be on that same day when I went to pick him up. I got the, or well, I got a huge cuddle. Oh, um, that I have ever gotten before. He literally wrapped his arms around me so tightly and gave me the biggest smile, which made all that guilt and pain disappear in that second. Yeah, and it does. I read on Instagram the other day, actually, because Instagram's so educational, mm. that if you have, if your child runs to you with open arms, that means we're doing great, a great job of making them feel safe. We're like their safety. And they say, so it's good that he did that. Okay, but what about the scenario of prying his hands from my clothes and giving mm. them to an educator? <laughs> Do they yeah. feel safe at that point? <laughs> yeah, no, I can't help you on that one. We need a professional to come in on and, and talk about that one. But Perfect. no, I think that they're fine. George used to do the same. In actual fact, she did that this morning at daycare and she's four. So, you know, it Great. does get better. They have their days. Yeah. Even though I know it was extremely difficult, I know from having an early childhood background and being a centre director that the best thing to do is to say goodbye and just walk away. Obviously, having it be your own child, it's a lot more difficult, but you need to stay strong. That's right. And, and that you did. I did. <laughs> <laughs> so what were your highs and lows for the week? Okay. So I will, I'm going to start with my high because this is probably the best I've felt genuinely in such a long time since being a parent and it doesn't involve my children. So I went to a beach called, we normally go to a beach called Camp Cove. That's our beach. It's just, you know, past like what's well, in Vaucluse in Sydney. And it's our favorite beach. I've been going there for years and years. But the other day when I rocked up, it was chock-a-block. It was so busy. So I thought, no, screw this. I'm not waiting around. Yeah. Time is of the essence. The kids are at daycare for a short time, not a long time. And so I was driving back and I was really disappointed because I just, my body was like craving salt water. Mm -hmm. Like I just needed to get in the beach. Right. And I found this like little, I thought I'm just going to go down here because then I thought I'll just go to Rose Bay and, you know, get my feet wet and whatever. <laughs> anyway, 
Get my toe wet. <laughs> yeah, just get my toe wet. But then I found Parsley Bay and I'd heard about it for so long. Have you been to Parsley no, Bay? No, never. You've never been? I haven't even heard of it. Oh my God. No. It's so good. Okay, so I found Parsley Bay. It's like, you know, down this dead end road. It's got this incredible, like it's like forest-like, you know, and it's got this all this greenery and this beautiful little bridge. And look, it's not the cleanest of waters, I will say, but um, – Anyway, I found it. I was on the I was on the sand and I thought this is just absolute bliss. But then I saw people walking through like this trek. And, and you like, did the trek? Well, yeah. <laughs> really? On your day off, you're doing a trek. <laughs> no, no, no. It was, for people that are listening that have gone to Parsley Bay or it's like they're local, they're probably thinking, Jaden, for heaven's sake, that's not a fucking trek. It's like a <laughs> it's like a little walk. <laughs> but anyway, I thought, what are they doing? And like the water wasn't clean, so I felt really ugh getting in. So I just thought, pack my stuff up. I'm not kidding you, Adriana. I got my little bag. I just had my lotion in it and, and a book and that was it. That's yes. all I needed to take and a towel. Bless. No, no like sunblock, kids' hats, kids' no, not a trolley full of things. No, none of those like sand wagons. <laughs> no, I was on my own. It was so fucking good. And then, yeah, so anyway, I, I went on this like little trek and I ended up down. I cannot stand sand. I've never liked it. i I thank my mother for that because she couldn't stand sand, so we never went on the sand. We always went on rocks down at Chinaman's Beach. That's safe for a child. Yeah, it was amazing. <laughs> she loves she loves safety. And so <laughs> I found this like this section like down the beach, and oh my god, I was like in bliss. You wow. walk into the water. I felt like I was in Europe. You walk into the water on this like cement like walkway. They've got inbuilt steps. They've got ladders on the rocks on the sides for high tide. Oh, wow. They've got a net. Anyway, long story cut short, I walked into that water. I floated in that water. <laughs> and I was like, this is life. Like, this is fucking bliss. Out of sight, out of mind for every single issue, problem, child, husband, friendship. It was all <laughs> gone. That's great. I was just on my own. So that was my high. And Perfect. it was amazing. Perfect. So that was my high, absolute high, and I've been back quite a few times since now that the kids are at daycare more so and I've got some time with work off. But um, low for me, and this is a pretty – it's a pretty big low for mm-hmm. me, I think, and I think I know, and I've really been struggling with it, is Maria, my youngest. She's two. She turned two in August. And she's been communicating – with like pinching, biting, pushing, and it's really confronting. And Georgia is like our angel, you know. she never went through that? Never, ever went through that. And having Maria go through this at the moment is like I'm talking tantrums. I actually spoke to her pediatrician about this because she was doing it with Georgia, so I thought it was like a little sister thing. And she – she said to me to get – she sent – she gave me a referral for a psychologist, a kid's psychologist. I know, I'm looking at your face. Everyone's got the same reaction. Like, what the fuck? But she had a good point, and that was in November, mm-hmm. and she had a good point, and that was, you know, every family is going to need a psychologist at some point to help with their children. Now, I don't know how much of that is true, but I take everything with a grain of salt. Yeah. I went home, told my husband that we need to see a psychologist for oh, Maria. God. He was like, I'm sorry, what? Um, okay then. And so that was really confronting for me in November because I was like, you know, I see a psychologist. Am I really doing this for my child? She's two years old. But I'm also a hypochondriac and I also am quite anxious. So I don't want to miss anything. And I know, and you would know, early intervention yeah. is key. It's important, yeah. Um, so fast forward from November, it's escalated. And it's now going on to other kids at daycare. New Year's Eve, she took a big bite and a big chunk out of my goddaughter's arm. That was super confronting for me and my husband. Like we just didn't know how to really tackle it. And we're all about the conscious parenting. Like we get down on her level. You know, I don't want to shame her, but I also don't know how to handle it. Like I genuinely don't know how to handle it. So I made an appointment with a psychologist last week to see Maria. Yeah. Now her response, she asked me in like numerous like questions and she said, look, she said, I think she's just having some difficulty expressing her feelings. I was just going to say, sorry to interrupt. Yeah, no, tell me. That 
obviously she's two years two years old. Yeah. She doesn't have the vocabulary like we do. No. So if she's angry, if she's upset, she can't express that. Okay, so she obviously doesn't have the vocabulary to say what she's actually feeling. So the mm. form of biting can be this is how I'm feeling, I'm getting a reaction, it, it, she's trying to talk. Yeah. Things that she doesn't know how to say yet, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does, it does. So it's really confronting but you just so need to remember she's actually trying to tell you something about a way she, how yeah. she's feeling and she doesn't know how to communicate that. So I I spoke to two of my clients on like the day after I made the appointment and one of my clients' reaction was – you need to go see a psychologist. How dare you put your daughter in that? She's two years old. She's going to grow out of it. Like she was ropeable. Mm. She's like, she, there's nothing wrong with her. She's perfectly fine. And I was like, yeah, but if she's got ADD or ADHD, like I want to catch it straight away. She's like, she's too young, Jaden. You're yeah, not even going to know. Even, yeah. Right? So that was that client. And then my other client was like a God job. And my other client was like, Jaden, that was Lucas. Like from two to three, that's all he did. He just – that's like I was getting caught into the center. I had to have a special person come and keep a close eye on him yeah. at the school. Like it's normal. And I said, yeah, but how normal is normal? And she's like, look, some people say it's not normal. Other people like myself that have gone through it with their child that's now, you know, a fantastic soccer player who's now thriving in school, not, you know, not with ADD, not with anything like you know, it's just a phase. So that mm-hmm. made me feel a lot better. That yeah. I communicated it and I, you know, I settled it down. The appointment's still there in March, even though I've told everyone I've cancelled it. <laughs> if it makes you feel better, yeah. <laughs> just do it. So I'm keeping it there. But that's been my low because, you know, my husband and I, like we both said as well, like a lot of, you know, at first we were always saying like, oh, my God, you don't listen. Like you don't listen, you don't listen. And now like she's two and that's. Exactly. That's what you need to remember. And it's not the best. Well, <laughs> if she was coming home at eight years old and she had bitten her friends, then okay. Yeah, that's maybe an issue. <laughs> maybe there's an issue. <laughs> <laughs> or she just really liked the taste or of that she, perfume whatever, or something. You know, I don't whatever know. Whatever floats your boat. But um, at two years old, yeah. I, I, and she yeah. just turned two, my baby. So I think that's been like a real low. So Stelios and I have made a conscious effort in the past week to really have more yes days with her Mm -hmm. and just like sort of loosen the control and the defiant attitude of her and like she really wants to do everything herself. Yeah. So I've just like had to surrender a lot of the control. Oh, yeah. You know, especially like when she's eating and she gets shit everywhere and I'm just like, how important is it? Like, is it really that important that <laughs> she wants? Turn away. Yeah, that she wants Nicholas put- is at that already. He's <laughs> right. only 20 months. What am I in for? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, whereas Georgia, she was like anal as anything. In actual fact, no, that's not that's not true. I used to feed her up until she was two and a half because I couldn't handle mess. <laughs> I was going to say, did she want that or did you? Yeah, me, 100%. <laughs> but, uh, you know, so she's just very, she's just a different child. And you know what blows my mind? That I've got two mm-hmm. from the same father, yeah. from the same mother, and they're totally different so different like Georgia is like a mini mother Teresa she's empathetic she's she's a total empath it's okay what can I do for you Mm. our biggest helper in the house everything's yes mommy yes daddy Maria she makes up for 10 everything's nope nope She's just testing the boundaries. She's like, yeah, totally. You've, you've got two kids, but I'm just going to make you feel like I'm your first again. Yeah. And you've never done this before. Yes. Yeah. It's that. Course. I feel like I've never, done, like I've cried that much last <laughs> week. Like I'm not kidding you where I'm like, I feel like I failed her. We didn't give her enough attention because Georgia, we lived with my in-laws. She had all that attention. It was nonstop. Like I had patience like a fucking saint not really like a saint, but pay more patience, yeah. more time. Whereas Rhea's just been thrown in and, you know, she had hip dysplasia. So she was like always sitting down. She couldn't really do much. Yeah. It was COVID. It was, the whole thing was so different. And I'm like the amount of times I said, oh, we failed her. We have totally failed. He's like, it's okay. It's okay. So now we've got like a lot more attention on her in a positive way, yeah. not in a, come on, you're not listening. Listen to mommy. Cause that's just even that language, like we're trying to change our language with her. Yeah, I think I think now would probably be about tell mummy how you feel, like trying yeah. to get her to express or use the words to express how That's she's right. feeling rather than trying to bite someone. Yeah. Because she's probably she could be feeling like you are not understanding me, you're not listening to me. That's, it's the big I'm thing. I'm going to bite you. She's not listening to me. Because I'm getting me. a reaction that yes. 
you know, I want sort of thing. So yeah, 100%. I think it's about, yeah, changing your vocabulary as well mm-hmm. Just and helping going. her to learn, yeah, how to express herself yeah. in other ways. So anyway, that's oh. been my, it's been my low, yeah. you know. I'm sure there'll be plenty of those coming up. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, that was a really good high and low, actually. I really enjoyed that. Yeah, me too. So previously to us speaking, I had the honour of interviewing Jesse and Millie. Have you heard of them on Instagram? Um, no. I no? I can't say that I have. Okay, so they're a same-sex couple. Okay. They're absolutely beautiful. They live off-grid. They've got a beautiful little boy called Titan. He is adorable <laughs> and he's like little toddler and they're just navigating parenthood and like you know living off grid being on social media and Millie really suffered from postnatal OCD and anxiety so it was really really good to have her on and talk about her experience with like intrusive thoughts and stuff because my intrusive thoughts were a whole different layer to her intrusive thoughts but they were still intrusive thoughts so I got a lot out of the interview with her she's got a huge following a really big community her partner Jesse was on the bridge which is a tv show as well and raised money for the family so yeah so they're they're a beautiful couple so I got to interview them and and yeah and so I'm excited for you to listen to that interview because I think you'll get a lot from that as well I think so too sounds great so I'm super excited to introduce our guest for this episode, Millie from Jesse and Millie on Instagram. So I'm really excited to bring that interview to you now. Can't wait to hear it. You guys have, you know, built a beautiful platform about honesty. And when I saw your Instagram and I started following you guys, I was like, well, I definitely need to get them on. So I'm so excited that you're on. So, you know, I know what you guys are about. So for anyone who mightn't know, can you tell us about you and your family and a bit about your journey? Sure. Yeah. So I'm Millie. I'm married to Jessie, who's my wife. We have a beautiful baby boy called Tide. We live off grid in our kind of sustainable eco house in the forest. We have lots of animals and we've had, yeah, like you said, quite a journey. We're very I guess, open and honest with what we share on Instagram. We don't really hold back. And we talk a lot about our journey, both trying to conceive Tide, so via IVF and all of those things. And then also talking about some of the struggles that we've had since having Tide as well. So whether that's, you know, postnatal depression or some of the issues that we've had with Tide you know, global development delays that they've had. So, yeah, we just kind of talk about everything, really. Yeah, it's an open book and I absolutely love it. I love it. I love open books. How did you and Jessie come to the decision to have a baby? Like what was the process like for you as a same-sex couple? So I think me especially, I am fiercely maternal. I have always wanted children since I was a child. I've got a huge family, so like Mm. 50 plus cousins. Oh my God. So I just always grew up kind of looking after babies. Yeah, a huge family. Amazing. So it was always something that I saw as being part of my journey. But one of the things that was kind of hard to reconcile is being a member of the LGBT community. I used to believe that I couldn't have children because you just didn't see that representation anywhere. Like it didn't exist. Yeah. You know, it was only 2017 that in Australia, especially all states allowed IVF for LGBT couples or all states allowed adoption for LGBT couples. Do you know what I mean? It was in very, very recent years that these things have actually been kind of mainstream. And that's another reason why we share our journey so openly is that We probably are one of the first generations to really be able to have children and share our journey openly without fear of prejudice or anything like that. I find that wild because a girlfriend of mine just had a beautiful baby girl with her partner and their experience was really rocky as well, but she was married prior and has two kids to her ex-husband and found my girlfriend and just absolutely fell in love. And now they have this beautiful little girl together. And 
I just love it. I, I, I think it comes back to, at the end of the day, we're parents. We all have the common title, like the umbrella that comes with like having a newborn baby. We're all going through the shit, you know, the, the milestones together, the developmental, like it just blows my mind that we are all in this village. You know, we all are doing the same thing. And I love that more people are being open and out there and stuff. What was your birth experience like? I read on an Insta post, um, but I know it involves pizza. So can you explain that to us? Yeah. A little bit? So basically, towards the end of my pregnancy, like I, I really thought, oh, I'm going to be the, one of those people that is, you know, pregnant to like 40 plus two weeks. I, I just felt like it was going to last forever. And then I hadn't even packed my bag. I was so disorganized. And then my midwife called me at 38 weeks and was like, uh, we've just run some blood tests. You've got preeclampsia. Come into the hospital now and bring your hospital bag. And I was like, oh, I haven't even packed my hospital bag. And she was like, you better get on it. So it was a bit of a rush. So I just kind of shoved some stuff in a bag and kind of off I went to the hospital to be induced. And they kind of said, oh, you know, we'll give you the gel, the induction gel, et cetera. And, you know, don't expect it to work very quickly. This was like 5 p.m. in the evening. We'll come and check you at 5 a.m. If you've not progressed or you're not dilated, we'll give you some more gel. Then we'll come and check you again. But, you know, they kind of briefed me that we could be here for a couple of days. So I was like, okay, let's settle in. Um, They told us to get a really good night's sleep. So we were like, hey, you know, we're obviously staying in hospital tonight. Let's order Uber Eats. Because being off grid, we don't have Uber Eats where we live. So we're like, what a treat. Let's get some Uber Eats. So I ordered this massive prawn pizza. And I don't know what possessed me to pick prawn, but I was like, oh, that sounds so good. And I ate this entire pizza about an hour after they had given me the induction gel. And within the next hour, my contractions were wild, like absolutely wild oh my god my waters broke and yeah like this entire prawn pizza I spent the first you know two hours of my labor just like projectile vomiting prawn pizza everywhere oh and then (laughs) I'd had the baby I had tied by like 8 a.m the following morning so yeah that oh my god I can't look at a prawn I can't even look at prawns like no I can't even talk about it honestly it makes me want to die so (laughs) <laughs> I was just about to say to you, what are your thoughts on a prawn pizza now? Oh, no, I can't. Jeez. <laughs> oh, my God. That's epic. That's amazing. Though. I love that. And <clears throat> like going back to like, you know, your socials and, you know, how you shared a bit of like your journey with postnatal depression and anxiety. Like what has that been like for you and where are you at now with it? And for our listeners that have like, you know, don't follow you guys that will probably follow you after this. Can you explain to us like what postnatal looks like for you guys, like for you and and how was Jessie with her postnatal as well? I guess the years that we've been living through, you know, with COVID and everything was the perfect storm for many people to develop pre and postnatal anxiety. So we moved to our house in June. And it coincided with, you know, the longest lockdown. So I was 20 something weeks pregnant, went into lockdown for over 100 days, didn't get to see anyone. And I think I kind of had this vision. I think I'd romanticized pregnancy a lot. I'll be honest. I had this dream that, you know, I'd be going yeah, to I did too. yoga every day and, you know, hanging out with yes. friends and grabbing a smoothie afterwards and, you know, going for a beach walk with my bum. Look amazing. And yeah, all of these things, I just thought it would be, that would be my experience. But then we kind of got locked down. We weren't able to leave our suburb. I wasn't able to see friends or family or any of my village. My sister lives in Victoria. So for my entire pregnancy, I didn't see her. The borders opened coincidentally the night before my induction. So she got on a plane and came straight and managed to see me, you know, one day pregnant. So because of all that, I developed prenatal anxiety and depression, which I don't think is talked about as much. That's the kind of experience of feeling incredibly anxious and, you know, sad and depressed before the baby even comes. So I was kind of suffering with that quite a bit. My midwife was absolutely amazing and kind of put me in touch with various services even before Tide was born. And once Tide was born, I think I had the 
expectation that you know lockdowns are over I can start doing all of these things that I wanted and I think I kind of believed Mm. that it wouldn't be an issue moving forward like I was like okay I had a stressful time before the baby's here but now this baby that we wanted we've longed for we've invested so much money and time in creating he's finally here everything's going to be like peachy and it just wasn't it just wasn't and I've never suffered from anxiety before. I've always been such a happy, go lucky, carefree person. So I never thought postnatal anxiety or depression would be part of my story. And I guess in that respect, it completely blindsided. It's definitely, you know, when you talked about prenatal, so I had prenatal as well and it was not spoken of. I didn't even know it existed really. So with my first Georgia, I was like, what the fuck, excuse my French, is happening to me? Like I thought pregnancy was going to be this fantasy, this beautiful experience. It was nothing but the opposite for me. And, you know, she's four now. I had Georgia outside of lockdown. But for me, because I knew so much about postnatal and I knew that I was high risk for postnatal, I was prepared to get that. But prenatal, I had to close my business. I felt like the rug had literally been pulled underneath my legs like I couldn't even stand I was like I've lost complete control of my life I don't understand what is going on here and I just wanted to touch on that because we did a full topic on this in our first season of Mummy Village I just did not know it existed and there's so many people that actually experience it and don't realize that it's prenatal depression did you know about it at all when you were experiencing it no I wasn't really aware of prenatal depression anxiety and I guess I also used to think that it was just prenatal depression like postpartum depression I wasn't aware that so many other elements came into it you know whether it's postnatal anxiety or postnatal OCD or intrusive thoughts and those were two of the things that I really suffered with and I had no idea that they were you know different elements of postnatal depression because I thought it just meant being sad and actually although I did feel a bit sad I didn't really suffer from postnatal depression so much it was more anxiety Mm. obsessive thoughts intrusive thoughts you know all of those things that yeah really I had no idea existed and what sort of if you feel comfortable in answering this and if you don't feel comfortable you just say let's move on Can you give me some examples of what intrusive thoughts you had and the OCD side? Because I dare say there'd be some listeners out there going, oh, wait a second. What does she mean by that? Yeah. Yeah. So in terms of like the OCD, I would fall into patterns. I guess my brain was kind of creating sequences that I could go through that would make me feel less anxious. So I used to set my alarm clock on the hour, every single hour throughout the whole of the night, just to check that tide was still okay. So I would, you know, go to bed at, say, 9 p.m. And I would set 10 p.m., 11 p.m., midnight, 1, 2, 3, 4, you know, the whole night. And every time my alarm would go off, I would go check Tyler was breathing. You know, often I would end up, like, waking them up as well. Like, And so I was getting no sleep, and that was only, Mm -hmm. I guess, causing my symptoms to be worse. I would set my alarm at 4 o'clock in the morning and get up and make Jessie a coffee before she went to work. Because I was like, if I don't make that coffee, Jessie's going to die on the way to work. I would like watch, you know, like find my friends. I would like track her hour long journey to work on find my friends and just kind of watch it. Because I was like, if I'm watching it, I can keep her safe. Yeah, of course. So it was kind of things like that. Like I kind of created this series of balances and checks and, you know, abnormal routines to kind of keep my family safe, even though you know, in hindsight and with a more logical mind, I can see that, you know, those things are out of my control, but I just needed some kind of control of the situation. So yeah, I guess that's an example of some of the kind of OCD behaviors I had. In terms of intrusive thoughts that I had, Mm -hmm. it was, I didn't drive a car for six months. I just thought the second I'm going to get behind a wheel, I'm going to crash the car. It's going to veer off the road, but everyone's going to die. I had visions of, you know, if anyone held Tide, I was like straight away, they're going to drop him. I could see them dropping him and like Tide hitting the concrete. Like I only trusted Jesse to hold Tide or me to hold Tide. Yeah, I just, you know, visioned just all these horrible scenarios would just play out in my mind. You know, everything 
to do with tired I would just be like oh you know this is I would just spiral and think you know something terrible is going to happen and I would kind of play out all these yeah I would play out all these scenarios in my head where like danger was going to happen to us what help did you get like what was some of the because you said that you had a good mental health team around you via your midwife like how did you come out of it and where are you at today with all of that? So I'd say the things that really helped me were I had a good midwife who put me in touch with the mental health midwife team who come out still now and see me every month. And it's a program that lasts two years. Amazing. I'm not sure if they do that in all states. But yeah, where I live in New South Wales, it's like a kind of full end-to-end program where they keep I've in never touch heard of that. Team. Yeah, it's it's honestly been life changing. So that I would say is the first thing that helped. I also mm-hmm. spoke to the Gidget Foundation. I'm now a kind of Gidget angel, so I kind of represent the Gidget Foundation. But they are, I would say, most people's first stop. So if you're having any of these feelings, or you're listening to this now, and you're thinking perhaps I have postnatal depression, or perhaps I have postnatal anxiety, like if you're thinking that you do the chances are you might. I would say speak to the Gidget Foundation. They are really, truly helpful and non-judgmental. Yeah, they're amazing. Yeah, really amazing. Were there any tools that they gave you like to help you like when that thought came into your mind because they suck and, and they're so real for us that are having them, but everyone gets told different things to cope. For example, for me, when my anxiety overrode me, And my mind told me a lot of the time that my kids were better off without me and they should just be with their dad. They gave me tools where it was like, okay, it's not real. It's very real for me, but take a deep breath, keep it in the moment, count through your nose, through your mouth to just stop for a second and stop my mind from racing. Because once I went into that loophole, it was very hard for me to get back out of that. So were there any tools that you were given to help you with your postnatal OCD that stood out for you that you just went, okay, I need to go back to that place to get you out of that? Yeah. So I think for me, the advice that I got in terms of managing some of these mental health issues and behaviors that I was having, like you said, you know, taking a deep breath, trying to stay in the moment, going on medication, all of those kind of things to just kind of take the edge off the severity of the situation that I was feeling. Yeah. One of the other tips that my midwife gave me was, look, I know you're setting these alarms on the hour every hour and I'm not going to tell you to just stop doing that because that is something that gives you comfort. But how about you just turn one off? Just for this week, you know, 11 p.m., turn it off. Keep the others on, but just turn that one off. And then the next week she's like, okay, how did you go with the 11 p.m. alarm? Do you feel confident to turn a couple more alarms off? So I kind of worked my way that way. When I went and stayed with my sister and her partner in Geelong, they were quite instrumental in getting me to drive because I was just like, I can't drive. This was when Ty was maybe six months old. Mm. And they were like, we're giving you the car. You're going to be fine. Just go on a quick journey to xyz you know just do it you're going to be fine so they encouraged me to get in the car and just drive for a small distance first of all without tied in the car so they babysat tied and I just drove you know 13 minutes to the shop and back and then I practiced a bit more so beautiful my advice I would say to anyone is just try and chip away at these behaviors I'm not a doctor I'm not a psychologist you know I'm by no means a professional so I'm just, you know, I guess telling my no, story. No, but it's your experience and what works for exactly. you. Exactly. Exactly. And this is just my experience. And you that's know, all we can some... do, right? Exactly. Exactly. There might be some behaviors that, you know, you need to stop immediately or that are dangerous for you or the baby. So I'm not saying the process of slowly eliminating these things would work for everyone. But for me, it was super helpful to just slowly release the control that I was having. No, absolutely. And that's, Our experiences are our own experiences. That's why I wanted to touch on the tools that you were given because everyone has different tools. You know, like I went on medication as well and that really helped me. But then the anxiety came, you know, when we wanted to have the second, our second baby that I was like, oh my God, am I going to be okay coming off them or do I stay Mm -hmm. on them? You know, but if I stay on them, is she going to stop breathing when she comes out? Like, oh, it was just, you know, the anxiety back 
back again. And yeah, so I think that's why I wanted to ask you, like, you're exactly right. Everyone's experience is so different. And my, like my intrusive thought, which is what stemmed my postnatal Millie, was I was on the balcony with my daughter. My husband had just gone to work. So I was on my own with her and I thought, I can do this. Like, you know, I've got this. It's okay. Put her to bed. She was great. She slept. I had a shower because she she had really bad reflux and she used to vomit all the time and no one told me about reflux or colic or any of it. And I had a shower, came out. She was bawling her eyes out. She vomited all over me again and I just had a shower and I just thought, oh, my God, this is hell. Like, this is such hell. And she just would not stop crying. I offered her my boob but I had problems with breastfeeding and then I offered her a bottle and then anyway we lived on a main road, um, Victoria Road in Dremoyne and I went out on the balcony and I thought oh there's lots of people because we lived on top of Harris Farm and I thought oh the the noise of the cars will help her stop crying and just get out for a bit because I just wasn't confident in leaving the house at that stage. I got out on the balcony and she just would not stop crying and I just thought it would be so much easier if I just threw her off the balcony right now and if I threw her, oh, my gosh, she, everything would go everywhere and then I'd have to see it but then I'd have to throw myself off the balcony and I was so scared. And I walked back inside, rang my husband, bawled my eyes out and said, you need to come home. I'm really scared. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm so scared. Because I loved her so much and the thought of hurting her. And I, I've said this story quite a lot and I don't get emotional and all of a sudden I'm getting emotional. Um, I just couldn't believe it. I was like, how could I ever hurt my child? I've wanted her for so long and I've wanted her. Oh my God, I'm so sorry. I knew something wasn't right. And because up until then my psychiatrist was like, you know, it's baby blues, you know, it's, it's okay, it's normal. And at that point is when we went and moved in with my in-laws. But, yeah, it was tough, you know. So I really love that your intrusive thoughts were very different to mine. And I've never – you're the first person that has shared intrusive thoughts in that way for me. Yeah. So, yeah, that was just a bit of a light bulb moment for me hearing that because I was like, fuck, I've had more than, more than that. That's been more – I've had more intrusive thoughts. Yeah, it's wild. The other thing that helped me as well is, I guess, like building a village of people around me. So, you know, having really supportive friends that are there that understand that is something that has been super, super helpful. Obviously, Jesse and my, my friends and family have been so supportive. I went on antidepressants as well for six months. And I think that was really life changing and life saving for me. So yeah, like I did quite a few things, but I think for the first maybe four or five months, I was just totally lost, totally stagnant. I couldn't yeah. help myself. I did nothing. Empty. Yeah, empty. I just wallowed in these fears. I didn't share them. I was just completely lost. And yeah, I guess the other thing is sharing my experience online has really helped me because I get so many messages every day from other people saying, you know, I'm going through this and I didn't get help or have you considered this or, yeah, just feeling less alone yeah. by, you know, sharing my journey and hearing from other people who are going through that. So that's been like a huge help. I want to go back to what you said about living off grid. How has that impacted, you know, tide, like being off grid? Because we live in such a world today, especially Sydney, where it's very social media based it's very materialistic it's very what you have like how has that been for you and Jesse living off grid like has that changed anything for you guys has that changed your parenting yeah it has in a way I mean we always had this dream that we would live off grid and you know have lots of animals and grow all our own vegetables and kind of live this self-sufficient sustainable life yeah I love that and that is still very much the dream I think Tide being mm. 14 months is maybe a little too young to fully comprehend that dream yet and I'm not one of those yeah, you know like uber hippies that aren't into kind of technology or or modern medicine or anything like that I think I float somewhere between the concept of living a kind of natural and purposeful life without too much input from you know capitalism and those kind of pressures of you know 
working an absolute grind and that kind of thing. But then the other side of the coin, you know, obviously we're present on social media. I've got a marketing degree. I work as a senior marketing manager. Like I'm very much caught between this. I love technology and I also love the simple life. So yeah, I'm a kind of mixture of those two things, I guess. And in terms of how it's impacted Tide, I think one of the things that has been a struggle is Tide has some developmental delays. And so now we're in a situation where Tide needs therapy, you know, several times a week, but we have to now travel for that. And our house is also, like I said, in the middle of the forest with loads and loads of steps and you know, different levels and stuff. So, you know, that's definitely going to be challenging and perhaps something we'll need to address at some point. But for now, it's the dream. And, you know, mm. we honestly love living here. Yeah, I want to be off-grid too, Millie. <laughs> I love it too. But again, like, you know, whether you're living in a forest or living off-grid, they're the same sort of things that we have to go through as parents, right? Like, I love the fact that you guys live off-grid. Talking about Instagram, like how did your Instagram following come about and what impact has that had on your lives? So it's kind of accidental, really. When we got engaged, obviously we couldn't get married because marriage equality wasn't a thing in Australia at the time. So we had a joint account and we started talking about marriage equality and, you know, campaigning for that. And then we ended up being part of some adverts for marriage equality. We ended up being on billboards across Australia. And so we started to gain a following. Yeah, I know. It's so crazy. So yeah, we started to gain a following through our advocacy for marriage equality. And then we ended up winning a competition to win a wedding. So we won a wedding in Geelong, Victoria. Yeah, it was amazing. Really? Huge wedding and we're featured in some magazines. Yeah, it was so good, honestly. It was the best day ever. Our wedding was just unbelievable. I wish we could do it again, honestly. It was just so fabulous. Yeah, and then it just kind of, I guess, grown from there. I mean, I'm definitely, since having a baby, not as frequent with my posts as I used to be. But (laughs) yeah, we've just got such a beautiful community of mothers and LGBT folks and just, you know, like-minded people, people yeah. who are into sustainability and off-grid living. So, yeah, we've just got a kind of vast audience of, yes, you know, different people. But, yeah, we're, we're very lucky to have a following on this. That community. Mm. And I just wanted to ask the experience of Jessie going on the bridge and how that was for each of you, like her leaving and, you know, you being on your own because I was left on my own with Georgia at that time and Stelios was at work and that was really tough. How was that for you with your postnatal anxiety and your OCD, like leaving her to go and film and then you're off grid on your own with Tide going through all of this? Like how was that for you and for Jessie, bless her heart, having to leave you? Yeah. That would have been really tough. So the lead up to that, was obviously I was on maternity leave you know I wasn't earning money at that point Jessie was commuting back to Sydney to work but the anxiety and the stress that I was feeling every single day with her drive to work and you know being convinced she was going to die and all of these things Mm. became so much to me that she had to give up work so we were in this position you know we've got a mortgage we've got a new baby Neither of us at this point are working. My maternity pay is just about to run out. You know, we're doing little bits and pieces on influencer work and various side work and little bits and pieces, but it's not enough to sustain a mortgage and a baby and food and all of these things. So we kind of got to this position where it was, you know, really scary for us. And then Jesse was offered this amazing opportunity to go on this show called The Bridge. And, you know, there was a huge cash prize. And she was just like, do you know what? I'm going to do it. And, you know, we discussed it as a family. And I was like, if you can go away and film in the Tasmanian wilderness for, you know, 25 days and come back with a big cash prize, then, you know, it's worth it. Like, it's worth the risk for us. And it was you know, the whole premise of the show was very Jessie, you know, living outside and building yeah, and totally. things with your hands. And it was just like such a cool concept that we decided 
together that she should just go for it. So she did, and it coincided with the worst floods you know, the 100-year floods in New South Wales and my access to the house, we got like a river that runs through the bottom of our property and the access was blocked. So I was completely blocked in. Tide was maybe four or five months old. We've got solar panels and, you know, it was raining every day. So there wasn't enough electricity from the solar. I'd run out of diesel for the backup generator. So we had no electricity, like no power. Everything was, was soaked. We had water running in. Jesse wasn't there. So yeah, it was, I would say that was the kind of peak of my anxiety because I was just so alone. But I did manage to get rescued by one of my neighbours and I just hopped on a plane and went to Geelong where my sister and her partner Yo live and spent some time with them. And honestly, that was just really wonderful to be with family. So although Jesse did this big thing for our family and it was definitely hard especially hard for her to be away from Tide as well when Tide was so young yeah absolutely it ended up being a good thing going to Victoria because my sister kind of was a bit more tough love as well and made a doctor's appointment mm-hmm. asked them to sort out antidepressants for me and got the ball rolling in a lot of ways so yeah it ended up being a good thing and Jesse got some money from the show so <laughs> it all paid off oh, that's good it was a win-win <laughs> yeah just quickly, because I know you've got to go, if you feel comfortable with it. Our partners, I feel like, in my opinion, I feel like a lot of partners can get lost in the background. And I was just wondering, like, how has Jessie been, and I obviously don't want you talking for her, but how has she been throughout this whole experience? Because I know my husband has really struggled with watching me go through it. And he's obviously been the rock and hasn't really shown his emotions the best that he could, I think, personally. And when I have asked him, like, you know, when I went through that or when, you know, when I had that intrusive thought that time with Georgia, like, how did you feel with it? And his response was, I was petrified, but I couldn't show you that because I needed to be the strong one at the time. Like, how has Jesse been through this whole experience? Because, you know, you both love each other so much and you're both each other's priority with Tide. So how has she been through, you know, experiencing this this journey with you? So I think it's it's definitely been hard because I have never suffered any form of anxiety previously. Jessie's always been very yeah. open and honest that she has had a long-term relationship with anxiety. You know, she takes... Yeah medication every day she's been on medication for the best part of a decade and she talks openly about her struggles with anxiety and mental health for a very long time so prior to me having any mental health or anxiety I was very much you know the strong one not to say Jessie isn't strong she's the strongest person I know but I was the one I guess that kind of keeps things going in terms of managing us both when one of us is feeling more anxious but it definitely was harder when I was anxious because Jesse really had to step into this role of you know caring for me and making sure I was looked after which I think was really mm. difficult especially when she was working because she was working providing for the family she was then having to put my interests first and look after me and then she was also having to look after the baby so I definitely think yeah. she found it difficult but I couldn't have done it without her like she is yeah just beyond amazing honestly we're, we're very lucky to have very such lucky to have our partners who are right there you know supporting us through it all last question because I've just been throwing them at you this morning what advice would you give to same-sex couples considering starting a family so in terms of advice I would say book an initial consultation because I think the whole process of going through IVF finding a donor deciding whether you go through IVF Mm. IUI at home insemination like all of those different options are so varied and you know, they're so unique to the individual or the couple going through it. But what I found was really helpful is just book that consultation, the half an hour consultation with the IVF specialist and just write all your questions down and just kind of dump them at them and get that feedback. Then you really have an idea of how long things take and what the process is going to look like for you. We went with a company called Rainbow Fertility, and Rainbow Fertility are specifically aimed at LGBT 
couples. So their full oh, service is only for LGBT couples. And so there's none of the awkward conversations kind of explaining, oh, you know, this is my wife and blah, 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 blah. It was just, it felt mm. so safe. You know, they started our initial meeting Beautiful. asking what our pronouns were and how we, you know, prefer to be talked to and different things like that. So it was just an incredibly safe space. So yeah, my two pieces of advice would be, you know, if you do live near Rainbow Fertility, then go and have a look at them and you could consider that as option. And the second piece of advice would be just book that initial consultation, find out what your options are, find out what the lead times are, because then you've got all of the information to make a decision. And I found that was really Mm -hmm. helpful. Okay, beautiful. And I said it was the last question before, but where can people find you? Yeah, so you can find us on Instagram. Our handle is at Jessie and Millie. So that's J-E-S-S-I underscore and underscore M-I-L-L-I-E. And we'll have you on our website and on our socials as well where we can find you. And if anyone has any questions about Millie or Jessie and you want to shoot them through, we can also pass them on. You have been an absolute delight coming on here and being so open and raw about your story and sharing, you know, your whole experience as a mother, as a partner. And, you know, we're tired. It's beautiful. And I'm so grateful that you came on and gave us your time. So thank you so much. I'm sure we'll get you on again. Thank you. It's been so nice. A huge thank you to Millie for taking the time to share her story with us today. I know personally time is of the essence when you're having a bub and when you are running your own business and just in general. So I was really appreciative that she was so open and raw and authentic and we had such a laugh and it was hilarious. So please check out Jessie and Millie's Instagram. You can find them at Jessie, J-E-S-S-I underscore and underscore M-I-L-L-I-E to give them some support and show them some love. That's all for Mummy Village this week. We will also have a list of additional resources about the topic on our website and blog at mummyvillage.co or follow the link in our bio on Instagram at mummyvillagepod. If you have any questions at all, please send us a DM. We'd love to connect with you. Please subscribe to our podcast on your favourite listening app. Also, if you enjoy the show, please leave us a positive rating and review because every time you don't, a kitten dies. Jokes. (laughs) I'm Jaden, and you've been listening to the Mummy Village podcast. Remember, we love you and it's okay if you still haven't taken your Christmas tree down. In fact, you might as well just leave it now because it will all roll around again soon enough. Bye. Swivel.